of your eye. Huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Okay, so we're on. This is episode nine, right? For season two. I think so. Second to last. Yeah. So uh, we've got today Hatchet. Hatchet. Which is not the middle grade kids book. (laughs) If it is, something went seriously wrong. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Yeah, this is not going to be a movie about high intellectual conversations because Hatchet (laughs) is not a high intellectual film. No. Uh, And in fact, my very first note even says, hey, look, it starts off kind of like Tucker and Dale. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is just uh, a good old fashioned love story to the horror movies, the 80s, pretty much. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. I said, you know. This movie could be the template for cheesy horror movies. It's like every scene is like, I know what scene's coming next. I know what they're going to do next. It, you know, it's yep. it, it, it's almost that uh, making fun of itself thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what drew, drew me to it. This is one of those movies that I'd heard about and then sought to go find to watch. So um, it's and people like it. There's what, like six of them or something. Yeah, there's actually, um, there's three sequels to the original Hatchet. There's Hatchet, and then Hatchet 2, and then this might shock you, there's a Hatchet 3. Right. <laughs> um, and the last one was called Victor Crowley, uh, yeah. which is named after the head guy. Uh, there's also a comic book series. Uh, started in 2018. It's published by American Mythology Publishing. That's crazy. Um, and fun fact, if you sat down just for one crazy afternoon and watch hatchet hatchet two and hatchet three back to back. It is just one long story. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Over what? Four and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. So, Cause it was a shortish one. Yeah. I mean, what, like an hour 40, maybe I think something like that. Yep. Yeah. This is an American made film. It came out in 2008 um, it was followed by Hatchet 2, which came out in 2010, and Hatchet 3, which came out in 2013. I believe, you know, don't hold my feet to the fire on this, but I believe they shot Hatchet and Hatchet 2 at the same time. Okay, uh, that's popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, like I said, it's it's an homage to horror movies of the past, not just in name, but also in the cast. Look at me being all poetic. You're getting like a professional. <laughs> That's We're about right. to start paying you more. Uh-huh. Double it. Yeah, I will. Uh, the thing that really <laughs> the thing that really drew this to me was that the horror superstars of the past that show up in this, uh, just in cameos and things, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, we so. start right off with Robert Englund. Not just Robert Englund. Um, because Robert Englund plays a guy named Samson. And his son is out there in the boat. His name's Ainsley. And Ainsley's first movie, um, he was in the Blair Witch Project. Oh, nice. He was the sound guy in the Blair Witch Project, I think. So, I don't remember obviously, if he had sound or camera. 
obviously these guys making this movie, I mean, they had a very specific plan of what they wanted. Like you said, it's that love felt homage. And that's probably why it's so popular. People feel that. Yeah, absolutely. When you sit down to watch this, you're not looking to question life's great questions. (laughs) You're sitting around to watch Kane Hodder throw people around on a movie set. Oh yeah. And there's some (laughs) gruesome stuff coming up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Uh, the movie uh, was written and directed by a guy named Adam Green. He's an American. I believe he's from Massachusetts. He's from the Northeast. Um, oh, yeah. Here are my notes. American director from Massachusetts. So there you go. Confirm that. Crazy how professional you are. Yes. <laughs> he's got uh, 29 directing credits to his name and 28 writing credits as well. His first movie was called Coffee and Donuts which actually went on to become a television show. Never saw it. Never oh, yeah. saw the TV show. Oh, yeah, did you? I know. You know what? I haven't really seen it, but it looked humorous. It had a, a couple actors I recognize, like the Jewish guy who ran the donut shop. I totally recognize from past shows. Can't think of them off the top of my head. Uh, and I mean, it looked funny. It was like old Jewish guy running a donut shop and young urban black guy working for him. You know, comedy oh. ensues. So, you yes. know, it's a good setup. The cross-cultural yeah, always, blend kind of situation. Always humorous. Yep. Um, he did a lot of television shows and short movies. He did three of the four Hatchet movies. He did not do Hatchet 3. And he has writing credits on all four movies, actually. He wrote part of Hatchet 3 as well. He just wasn't available to direct it at the time. And probably even if he wasn't involved in the errors, it's his property. So they probably had to give him yeah. license. Yeah, yeah. He also had writing credits on the Friday the 13th video game. Oh, okay. I've played that one. We've got it. Yeah, it's weird because we have come across actors in the past in other movies who have done voiceover for games. This is the first time we've come across somebody who actually wrote one. Yeah. uh, Which is kind of cool. Seriously, the game (laughs) is you got one person as Jason. Everybody else tries to get away from him and he's hunting them down. There's not a lot of story to that. <laughs> well, what, what little there was, Adam Green worked on <laughs> he it. He got so. credit for it. That's yes. good. I take it. <laughs> um, he says that he wanted to go into directing, when, uh, into movies when he was eight, and he first saw E.T., wow. which takes okay. me back. I don't know. Uh, you guys go back a couple episodes. Uh, there was a Spanish director, maybe, who saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, um, he was from Ecuador. We had a movie from South America this this season. I don't remember which one it was, but regardless, he left to go to L.A. to get educated and then went back down there to make movies. And he did a horror movie, which we reviewed this year. Um, Adam Green's the same thing, except he was from Massachusetts and he was eight years old and he went and he saw E.T. And he still considers that to be an amazing film. Okay. So um, that was the impetus that got him into making movies. Oddly what enough. Was, it, was the movie Mama? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Right. It's an American made. It looks like an American film, but it really wasn't. Um, the character of Victor Crowley he made up about the same age when he was at summer camp. He would tell kids stories of Victor Crowley to scare them. 
So this character is something he's been marinating for decades. Nice. nice. And finally put into a movie. And I love that that you, you, you look that stuff up and find that stuff out because it makes the movie all the better uh, yeah. for me. I, I like those things. And, the, and again, this is the type of movie, you know, most of my family probably wouldn't go see, but knowing something like that, that might intrigue somebody. So I, sure. I love that, that little stuff. He also credits uh, twisted sister for teaching him that he could do anything he wanted and how not to take anyone's shit. <laughs> That's what that video was all about. That's right. So E.T. and Twisted Sister and a scary summer camp story all stirred together in one pot and you get hatchet. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All the better. Uh, it gets it gets a little more entertaining. One of his producers, her name was Sarah Elbert, had finished working on a Friday the 13th box set. Um, so she knew how to get a hold of Kane Hodder who played Jason in various Friday the 13th yes. and asked him to play Victor Crowley. And once he read the script, he was super pumped and got involved. Nice. And okay. We so go, we, we've got Jason running around a, one of the versions of Jason. Yes. And as we go through, I'll, I'll note there's like certain things that he did personally to help make the movie. So, Oh, very nice. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously if you watch this movie, you've seen Friday the 13th because there's a lot of similarities. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of the awesome things about this movie in my mind is that it's one of the few movies I can think of that I've seen. Now I'm sure there's lots of them out there, but one of the few movies I can think of where Kane Hodder plays a role where he's not wearing any makeup. Okay. Um, so there's a flashback scene where we find out how, Victor Crowley ended up in the condition he was. His father in that scene is played by Kane Hodder, who plays the adult rampaging Victor Crowley. So Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, Tony Todd from Candyman fame. Uh, Adam Green, huge fan, and called Tony Todd's agent over and over and over again and just basically begged him to be involved. And once he found out how much Adam, like loved this concept he agreed to be in it so oh, uh, sweet he had to so you had kane hodder who was you know they contacted through connections he got involved got excited you have tony todd from Candyman, who we basically begged to be in the film and then you have robert england and um adam green was at some industry party somewhere and he was wearing this really rare Marilyn Manson shirt. On the back of the shirt, it referenced something that Robert Englund had been involved in. And Englund happened to be at the party and saw the <laughs> shirt and came over and was like, that's a cool shirt. And so Adam Green like went out, was able to secure a second one of these really rare shirts and gave it to Robert Englund, who agreed to be in this film. Nice. That's excellent. Yeah. And I loved his character uh, in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For as short as it was, it was. And um, those three stars actually have appeared in one other previous movie, which I have yet to see. It's called Wishmaster. It's from 1997. Oh, my gosh. And it's about an evil djinn. Yeah. So. Uh, Cartoony special watch... effects. Oh, I imagine. <laughs> I want to get my hands on that. So we'll do a breakdown of the cast here. 
Uh, Kane Hodder plays Victor Crowley. I've met the man. Super nice guy. Uh, I met him at a Comic-Con. Um, very, very large. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, he looks big on screen, but like when you're 5'9 and standing in front of him, he's definitely a very big guy. But super, like super into the fans and stuff like that. That's cool. He's been... He's been in 145 different films and 107 films <laughs> as a stuntman. And stunt oh, man I thought you were going to say 107 films of the Friday the 13th series. <laughs> no, he hasn't. When you list them out, it's only like four, but he's played Jason more than any other actor. Okay. So I, I did recognize most, his name from that. Yeah. Um, his first movie was in 1974 as an actor. It was called California Split. Um, and in 1977, he was a stuntman on the TV show Emergency that ended with an exclamation mark. I don't know if you remember that show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You used to watch it. I was, was love it because they would defibrillate somebody every episode. And that was always <laughs> the coolest thing to me <laughs> as a little kid. Like, Clear! <laughs> well, that just kind of shows where you were leading in life anyway. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, some other titles that he's been involved with. He was an alligator and hard bodies. Um, the Twilight Zone, uh, the 1980s series, not the movie. Okay. Hill Street Blues, House 2. Um, his first time as Jason was in Friday the 13th, Part 7. Um, <laughs> he was also in Part 8. He was in Alligator 2 and House 4. He, he, there was a House he, 4? Oh, man. Yeah. I did not know that. He, he built up loyalty for, for the IPs that he's involved with. Um, he was in Under Siege. Uh, oh, wow. Jason, Jason Goes to Hell. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Pumpkinhead 2. Here's another one. Children of the Corn 5. <laughs> I knew there was like nine of those. <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Huh. Uh, he was in an episode of The Wonderful World of Disney. Oh, cool. <laughs> Jason X. The scary monster going around killing the musketeers, right? Yes. (laughs) I would watch that one. Yeah, absolutely. That's like the Banana Splits movie that was out a couple years ago, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, He was in Daredevil, the one with Ben Affleck. Okay. Uh, Alias, The Devil's Rejects, um, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, Chainsaw Maidens from Hell. I just added that one. I've never seen it, but the name's awesome. <laughs> it's great. We're probably not going to find that one in the premium racks. Probably not. Uh, Friday the 13th, the video game. Uh, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the video game. So, oh, wow. He's, he's got a lot of horror. Cr- yeah, he's, he's done a lot. Robert Englund plays Samson, who's only in the movie for a little bit at the start and then as a corpse towards the end, <laughs> he was in 168 films and his first film was Buster and Billy in 1974. Uh, he was also in an episode of the Hardy boys, Nancy drew mysteries. Nice. Uh, police story, police woman. He was on soap. You remember that show on ABC oh, gosh, back yeah. in the day with Billy crystal. Yeah. Um, Charlie's angels, chips, heart to heart, Simon and Simon V um, and all of that was before A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I've seen England in a few old shows, and it always, like, it's very jarring. I see him, and I'm like, whoa, wait a second, <laughs> you yeah. know? 
uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. You know what? Let's just say he's been on every Nightmare on Elm Street and leave it at that. <laughs> Including the uh, ones with Jason. Yeah. He was in Night Court and MacGyver and Knight Rider, uh, Chud 2, um, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, Walker, Texas Ranger, Babylon 5, Married with Children, The Simpsons, Charmed, Justice League. He does a lot of voiceover work. Okay. A lot of voiceover work. He was in... Uh, Justice League. Um, he was also in Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. He was in uh, The Batman. He was in Red, the cartoon, The Batman, and right. the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Superhero Squad cartoon. Um, Bones, Chuck, Call of Duty, Black Ops. He was did voice over there. He was in Supernatural. He did voice over for Mortal Kombat. The New Hawaii Five O, Criminal Minds, Lake Placid, the final chapter, um, Workaholics, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. After the final chapter, <laughs> yes. And he was in Stranger Things. Wow. So, um, okay. Robert Englund, you know, again, probably more visibly recognized than Kane Hodder. Um, so you can see him in a wide variety of stuff. Yeah. Tony Todd, he plays Reverend Zombie for just a little snippet in this one, and I believe he's in the second one. He's got 242 credits to his name, and he started later. Uh, he started in 1984 with a movie called Sleepwalk. Hmm. But he was also in Platoon, Simon and Simon, 21 Jump Street, Lean on Me, Night Court, MacGyver, Night of the Living Dead, Matlock, Star Trek The Next Generation. Then he was in The Candyman and The Crow. Uh, Law and Order. Oh, yeah, the... he was in The Crow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See? Okay. He's yeah. everywhere. The X-Files, Candyman, Farewell to Flesh, Deep Space Nine, Murder, She Wrote, Beastmaster 3, Beverly Hills 90210, NYPD Blue, Xena Warrior Princess, Star Trek Voyager, Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, Babylon 5, A Call to Arm, Final Destination, Smallville, Crossing Jordan, Andromeda, Charmed, SCI Miami, Final Destination 2, Star Trek Elite Force, The Game. Yeah, wait until you get into this guy's voiceover work. Okay. Um, what's new Scooby-Doo? Um, Stargate, I, SG-1. I really think everybody that does voiceovers in the horror industry really should do a Scooby-Doo episode. I mean, you know, that just seems like you, if you don't, you don't really have the cred, you know, you're not really, uh, yeah, you haven't done Scooby-Doo yet. Come on. That's right. <laughs> it's like a rite of passage. Exactly. Um, he was in Half-Life 2, the video game, 24, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, Star Trek Online, the video game, The Quiet Ones, Marvel Superhero Squad, again, the game, Chuck, Hawaii Five-0, Call of Duty Black Ops. A lot of these guys work in the same stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess makes sense. If you're popular, you keep getting asked because a lot of those, you know, the actors talk about each other, the people running it, directing it, you know, they want the people that they know can do the job. They don't have yeah. time to, to try new people. So you, once you get established, you get called for everything in some of those things. Yeah. He was also in Riverdale, uh, the flash, the new candy man. And this one blows my mind. He was in the young and the restless like oh. recently. Wow. And he's not the only one on this list who went into soap operas late in their career. 
which I just find to be really fascinating. I, I mean, you know, from the the work standpoint, what better? You know, every day you know where your job's at, yep. and you don't have to travel around and be away from home and work fifteen hour days and stuff. I I see the appeal of that after it's, doing thirty years of other stuff. Steady and consistent. Yep. Yeah. Josh Leonard plays Ainsley. He's been in 89 films, the very first of which was The Blair Witch Project from 1999. So he's Um, been in quite a few since that time. That's pretty good. He has. Um, He was in uh, The Outer Limits, NYPD Blue, CSI New York, CSI Miami, Numbers, Bones, Prom Night, Criminal Minds, True Detective, The Bates Motel, The 2020 MacGyver. He also did voiceover work on the Chronicles of Riddick game. Oh, nice. Which was a really great game. But really, it just kind of clicked. What you're telling me is the Blair Witch Project wasn't real found footage, huh? <laughs> oh, no. He's the guy who found it. Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. It, yeah it, it's still real, Steve. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, Dion Redman plays Marcus. He's got 34 credits to his name. Uh, he was Kenny in The Crosby Show. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, Uh, he was on American Playhouse in Scream 3, Not Another Teen Movie, and Van Wilder. Joel David Moore plays Ben. He's kind of the hero slash last girl of the show. He's been in 90 different things. uh, Boston Public, CSI, the Dukes of Hazzard, The Beginning. Um, (laughs) Which actually is probably a a lower rated show, in my opinion, than this movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, he was in House. Uh, he was in a Fallout Boy video and a Katy Perry video. Um, medium, Avatar, Blue Skin, Chuck, Hawaii Five O, Family Guy, Grace the Possession, Bones, Agent of Shield, and he will be in future Blue Skin Avatar movies. Two of which have already wrapped, and two more oh. are presently filming. Jeez. I didn't know there were going to be five of them. Well, I didn't know that either. I thought there were two more, period. But he plays in all five of them, so. They're, they're really banking on those being good if they've already done two and they got two more planned, huh? Yeah. Well, good luck for them. Um, Mercedes McNabb plays Misty, uh, one of the high-end roles in this film. Uh, she's been in 35 different films, including The Addams Family, Harry and the Hendersons, The Addams Family Values, The Fantastic Four. Uh, she played a young Sue Storm. Touched by an Angel, Walker, Texas Ranger, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dawson's Creek, Boston Public, Supernatural, Criminal Minds. And she's the blonde in the movie who is like the actress who's not much of an actress. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the characters I, are in the movie are great. I mean, they're yeah. so stereotype over the top. Again, it's the template. You have right. to have this character, this character, this kid. And God, she is so stupid. Yes. <laughs> um, Joe Lee Fiore plays Jenna. She has 20 credits, which is funny to me because in the show, she's trying to portray herself as this high-end actress from New York. And the actual actress who plays Misty has been in more actual productions than the lady <laughs> who plays Jenna. Uh, she's the only thing she'd recognize her her woo was really in the moment. That's right. I actually (laughs) quote that as well. 
she was in Nip and Tuck and CSI New York and CSI Miami. Those are the only titles you'd know from her list. Joel Murray plays Doug. Uh, he was in 104 credits. He was in Scrooge, Shakes the Clown, Blossom, uh, all the Beethoven films. Yeah. Um, how hard is that to be like the secondary star under a dog? Yeah. St. <laughs> Bernard. Right. Uh, he was in The Nanny, Hercules, The Drew Carey Show, Dharma and Greg, Malcolm in the Middle, Criminal Minds, Ghostbusters, The Video Game, Shameless, Criminal Minds is on there twice. Huh. CSI Miami, Desperate Housewives, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Two and a Half Men, Mad Men, The 2016 Ghostbusters, American Gods, Big Bang Theory, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Grey's Anatomy. He's one of those actors who you look at and you're like, I've seen you in something, yes. but maybe I haven't. Cause you're just like the quintessential generic middle-aged white guy. Yeah. I, yeah. I did recognize him and I'm like, Oh yeah, I've seen him. I didn't even bother trying to figure out where, because <laughs> we see a lot of those that these people are like, I recognize that face. Not sure where, you know, but, and actually this movie is like a lot of the other movies, maybe even more so than some, a lot of these people, are extremely experienced and professional yes. and have done it for a while. Uh, so it's not, they're not just grabbing somebody that was walking down the street. In uh, this one, while I can't say the, the movie's like the best production produced, written, directed, acted movie ever. It is a very solid movie. So oh yeah. All of these yeah. people are really good in it. The actual stars, the big names of this movie are the ones you're not going to recognize. It's going to be the guy behind the mask, <laughs> right. and it's going to be the special effects crew, which we'll get to in a bit. Which actually, for some people listening to the podcast, they may recognize them because mm-hmm. we talk about them, and that's, you know, the, the real fans tend to know those things. All of you guys who had ever had a subscription to Fangoria, <laughs> you're going to know these people's names. <laughs> right. Uh, Perry Shen plays Sean. The shifty uh, Carnival Barker tour guide. He He's been great. in 72 credits, including Starship Troopers, Caroline in the City, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Suddenly Susan, Beverly Hills 90210, King of Queens, Chicago Hope, The Wild Thornburys, uh, Sabrina Teenage Witch, NCIS, Veronica Mars, Criminal Minds, Snowpiercer, um, NCIS, Los Angeles. And he's another guy who went to soaps. He's doing General Hospital late in his career his voiceover work though he was in well we said the wild thornburys but he's does voiceover in world of warcraft far cry 3 mortal kombat 10 legos marvel avengers the walking dead michonne um the magic the gathering arena ghost of tsushima so this guy's got a lot of voiceover credits to his name in the video game industry Uh, You also have Amara Zaragoza, who plays Mary Beth. Now, it's important to note she only plays Mary Beth in the first film. Mary Beth is a continuing character who shows up in two and three, I believe. And she's played by somebody else in those. Oh, okay. She's been on things like Smallville, Boston Legal, Monk, Supernatural, CSI New York, One Tree Hill, Gossip Girl. Danielle Harris, um who starred in four of the Halloween films. She took over for Amara uh, Zaragoza playing Mary Beth in later 
hatchet films and i don't know why i didn't really dig into it i don't know if there's some scandal there or if just you know amara was too busy or something but danielle harris is who does it in the sequels this one she doesn't want to be typecast (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe you you know maybe uh gossip girl had her booked so she just couldn't make it maybe (laughs) richard real plays jim he has been in 413 different productions. Holy crap. Starting in 1977 with a film by the great title of Joyride. Okay. His, his follow that, that, that brings to mind several possibilities. <laughs> yeah. His second film was in 1978 and was called The Other Side of Hell. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think that's where Meatloaf is right now. Yes. Yes. Um, Richard uh, Real, if you're trying to picture him while you're listening to this, he is everybody's grandpa. He is the knockoff Wilford Brimsley. Yes. Um, He plays some old guy from the Midwest who's on vacation. Uh, You see, I will guarantee you have seen him. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Everything from My Two Dads, Falcon Crest, Dragnet, Quantum Leap, Father Dowling Mysteries, Golden Girls, Ferris Bueller, the television series, Roseanne, Fried Green Tomatoes, The Next Generation, Murder, She Wrote, L.A. Law, Sirens, Free Willy, The Fugitive, Perry Mason, Get Smart. I'm not even to the halfway mark. And and just like Brimley, he's looked like this for like 40 years. Since 1977. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know? Um, he is another guy who, like, after rapping Star Trek Enterprise and Boston Legal, jumped into the Young and the Restless. Wow. I'm like, okay, you know, these guys looking for... It's not his first horror movie either. He was in Texas Chainsaw 3D, which, you know, is pretty much just this movie in Texas. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> watching this, I'm like, this guy really liked Texas Chainsaw, didn't he? He shows up in Drunk History, which is a show I enjoy. Um, and he's in, and I love the name of this film, which I've never seen, but Helen Keller versus Night Wolves. He's in that. Wow, is that anything like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I have no idea. How the hell but does yeah. Helen Keller fight <laughs> something supernatural wolves or something? I, I really got to see that one now. I'm marking <laughs> that down. Take that one out. Um his wife in the film is played by Patrika Darbo. She plays Shannon, his wife. She's been in 119 films. Um, and she started in Riptide in 1984. And oh. then she was in Different Strokes. And then she moved into Soaps with General Hospital. And then back out with St. Elsewhere and Punky Brewster and It Takes Two and Growing Pains, Gremlins 2, Roseanne, Married with Children. The list goes on. She was in the George Carlin show which I didn't even realize he had a show in the nineties. Yeah. A short time. I I figured it wouldn't last long. (laughs) Um, It'd probably last a lot longer nowadays. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah, she's been in a million things. And then after she wrapped her role in the big bang theory, she did the bold and the beautiful, then the young and the restless and then days of our lives. Wow. So she's been moving through the soap operas as well late in her career. Which, so, which you know, if you're doing soap operas, I can see how a nice horror movie would be a good change of pace. You know, 
you, yeah. you get back on set for Young and the Restless, you have like your ear dripping off or something. That you... <laughs> Oops, forgot to change makeup. So the film had a strict no CGI rule. Oh, okay. See, stuff like that I, I endears it to my heart a lot yep. more. You know, stuff like that. I love that. They had two exceptions. Uh, one was to remove wires. So they were allowed to CGI wires out and to remove uh, camera setups. So if there's a camera setup that would actually be in the shot, they removed it with CGI. But everything else are practical effects. Beautiful. And employ- they employed the talents of four different uh, special effects coordinators. John Carl Buchler, Dan Edwards, Josh Hakian, and John Montenegro, who have worked on 381 films between the four of them. Wow. Over 200 of those are Josh Hakian alone by himself. Jeez, wow. Okay. So, so, yeah, again, this isn't a super cheesy, low budget movie. It, 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 everything about it was purposeful. Even the cheesiness was purposeful. The budget was $1.5 million um, for this film. And it was definitely a labor of love because it only did 175 grand domestically and 207 grand worldwide. And yet they made three more. Yeah. And the funny thing to me is it opened, it released on April 2nd of 2010 in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) it would release. Um, There is. When did that April Fool's Day movies come out? Did those get released around those times? I don't remember. Great question. Avoiding it or something. Why not um, go for October though? Save it in the vault for six more months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're don't even worry about what you're going up against because you know people yeah. who are seeing this are going to come to see it no matter what. Right. <laughs> there is an unrated version out there that circulates. Uh, it's only got about an extra minute of gore that they had to cut for the release, so That's it's crazy. not a whole lot. Um, the tagline when it was released, I love this, was. It's not a remake, it's not a sequel, and it's not based on a Japanese one. <laughs> Again, I love that. <laughs> and that speaks right to the fans. You know, oh, yeah. anyone who watches horror movies, cheesy horror movies, would immediately say that I love that and get that. That's Especially perfect. back in like 2010 when, you know, you had like The Ring and Everything. You had The Grudge, all Everything. of this stuff. Yeah. All these stuff. I've seen the grudge probably more times in this house than any other horror movie in the last 10 years, just because Gina and everybody else, that's like a, a, a popular favorite. So it's like, Oh, the grudge. When was the last time we saw that? Oh, it, 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 we've watched. Oh, I don't remember. Let's watch it again. Let's watch the remake. Let's watch the, another. Oh my God. Okay. I'm done with the grudge. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, it was a pretty good faithful American remake. Yeah. Uh, but 10 times is a little extreme. Yeah. I think we have like three versions of the the first movie, the Japanese wow. and then two different American versions. One's unrated extended and one's regular. Uh, I think one was widescreen. One wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> we'll save a Jew on discussion for another day because there uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in those films. We could do a whole Jew on bonus episode. We could. Maybe that'll be the bonus episode for... There we go. Uh, This film was shot in New Orleans and the surrounding areas, and to keep gawkers away, 
I don't know, you know, who would be out looking for them, but uh, they listed the movie um, as Love Rodeo during production. <laughs> so, so they could film it without horror film fans, you know, trying to track them down. And I do kind of understand that because they have three of the biggest, most icon- iconographic horror stars in the movie. So yeah. I can just see, you know, groupies like following the whole thing around. Well- well, it's interesting because when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, man, should have watched this one before I went to New Orleans in October. I would have went to some of these locations and taken pictures yeah. because it was I shot recognized, on set. Yeah, I recognize some of the streets. I recognize some of the buildings and uh, other stuff that was in the movie. I'm like, I, I, that looks familiar to me. You yep. know, I was like, oh, I could have taken pictures and uh, we could have had it associated. Yeah. And for as wonderfully hokey as this film is. Uh, it's still wrapped up six awards and one nomination between three different festivals. Um, wow. Adam Green got some, Kane Hodder got some, and um, Joe Buchler, the stunt coordinator, got some. Do you so, think Kane Hodder has a really good trick-or-treat house to go to? Well, he lives on a ranch, so I imagine oh. it's kind of secluded. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, come on. I would so do that. You know, I would not turn down an invitation to go to Kane Hodder's house for Halloween. That would be super awesome. It's, <laughs> of course, watch. He like does nothing for it. <laughs> He's just like, I'm <laughs> uh, just shutting, turn on the security. I don't want anybody to stop him by. Right. <laughs> too scary for me. Yes. <laughs> uh, so th- the movie opens with Samson and Ainsley in a boat in the swamp. Um, and so here's two of the cameos right off the bat. They're hunting for a massive alligator. I don't know if they actually name the alligator while they're hunting for her. No, I think that's a different horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Kane Hodder was in that one. Probably. Um, <laughs> and, and I will say one of the things, if you go through my giant list of horror movies, one of the things gets noted a lot is I hate how horror movies will depict people in the country. Everybody who lives in the country is some redneck rebel flag waving idiots who like eats possum off the road and chews tobacco (laughs) and sleeps with their sister. In this case though, I'm perfectly fine with it. (laughs) Because uh, they are. They're both chewing tobacco. and uh, They're portrayed as like all swamp people are typically, de- you know, portrayed. It's very characteristic. Oh, yeah. Ainsley has to pee. And so first he tries standing up in the boat to pee, which I'm like anybody who has actually lived in an alligator filled swamp knows not to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not because of what happens next. The alligator like leaps for him. And so he falls back into the boat, but because you don't want to fall out of the boat into alligator filled waters. So he gets out those big flat bottom boats. Yeah. There's still enough. Yeah. Yeah. He gets out of the boat to pee. When he comes back, he finds uh, Samson has been disemboweled on the shore. Um, And like, they don't shy away. They get the camera right in. You can see organs and things like that. I mean, it's very, it's, uh, it's an assault on the eyes is what it is. <laughs> Just be prepared because the, it goes up from there. I mean, yes. everything over the top, gruesome and cheesy. 
Yes. After that shot, about maybe 30 seconds, Ainsley's attacked. He's cut in half and his spine is ripped out of his back. So Yeah, he's not just cut in half. They're ripping him apart and he's <laughs> screaming and you're watching the blood like spatter everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And the camera lovingly like lingers on all of the gore <laughs> in these shots. Yeah. <laughs> Really, credit to the special effects team, you know, because we're going to really show these guys off. Um, And then we cut to Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, and you have a group of friends winding through the crowd. Um, Of those friends, Marcus and Ben are the only two who factor into the rest of this movie. The rest of them are just there like part of a gang of five. One of them was Adam Green, who is the director. Oh, okay. um, He's the one who's wearing the Ganja necklace. Got it. <laughs> um, ben is wearing a T-shirt that is sporting a logo of this funny smiley face on it. It is the lo- logo for a company called Newberry Comics. It is a comic book chain in New England that Adam Green frequents when he buys comic books and horror stuff. So remember right. we were talking about merch earlier. There you go. That's perfect placement right there. Nice. Um, they wind their way out to a sidewalk. There's like, I don't know, you're maybe 10 minutes into the film. There's some gratuitous boob shot of some girl pulling her top up at Mardi Gras. Not just one. Like, it's, it's Mardi Gras. If you like boobs, yeah. watch the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But <laughs> shoot, pretty much up to the halfway mark. There's lots of boobs in this that's film. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but that was for a movie, so that's more stylistic. That's right. It's a stylistic <laughs> choice. Right. <laughs> They are all drinking, and so they hit that slasher film trifecta of gore, sex, and substance abuse all within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Right. Just, bam, all these people can die now. Yep, got to get it out of the way. Yep. (laughs) Everyone seems to be having fun except for Ben. He's getting over this hard breakup from a real long time. And Marcus is trying to be his good friend, and he goes with him while he tries to seek some more obscure entertainment in New Orleans. He'd heard about a haunted swamp tour. And so they're going to go hunt it down, and it's run by Reverend Zombie. (laughs) So they hunt him down on some back street. Out comes cameo number three within the first 15 minutes. It's Reverend Zombie, and he's like, he's out of business now because someone slipped on his boat and sued him. So he doesn't do tours anymore, so he sends them to see uh, Marie Laveau. Now, the the house there that they knock on, not the house, the door and the street and all that, I completely recognized that, and I was looking it up, trying to find out what it really is. Uh, There are lots of doors and stuff that don't have signs above them but i was looking in the background and some of the other signs hanging up looked familiar the 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 pink color looked familiar so i'm like i know i walked right past that when i was down there but i couldn't find anywhere where it said the location you know where that actually was well that's the danger of the french quarter too right because when you're down there the architecture is so similar yeah. and you go from place to place you can very easily end up lost just because this block looks exactly like that one three blocks ago. Yeah, very and true. Have I been walking in a circle? Yeah. When we were down there, we went to some restaurant. And I can't remember the name of them. And they're probably glad that I can't just because of the story. There was like no sign on the outside. But you went in and it was packed. And we were sitting on the upstairs. And it was packed. And while we were sitting there, like a mouse ran across the floor. And uh, <laughs> like... The wait staff's trying to catch it. 
some patrons are actively leaving. And we're like, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> the food was good. That's great. Um, so he sends them to see Marie Laveau. They show up. Um, there's two girls out front. One of them's throwing up. Um, and Marcus still hits on him anyways as he walks in. Uh, so we've set the tone of what Marcus's character is, right? He's yeah. the horn dog. Inside, uh, we find Misty and Jenna topless posing for Doug, who is videotaping them. Um, and then he tries to throw some direction at them. And when he does, we see how much they hate each other. So, um, smitten. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do believe that that may have really been the Marie Laveau shop. Cause it looked like, uh, when I was there when, and we were in it, the, the part that I used the corner. You are correct. I'm pretty sure I came across a fact somewhere where they were referencing the fact that that was the shop. Yeah, it but looked, looked like it. You know, men, comment below if uh, it, it really wasn't. Let us know. Um, so there's this whole theme that emerges in this shop, and, it, and the whole theme is like falsehood for profit because Doug's not really shooting a movie these girls are ever going to get paid for, right? And, and then you're introduced to Sean, who is pretending to be Cajun with like the worst accent anywhere. <laughs> he was great, though. I oh, he was him. fabulous as a character, and the actor did a great job. Ben pays for a, he and Marcus to go, and it's 40 bucks a pop, and they get on the bus and off they go. And uh, there's three people already on the bus. You have Jim and Shannon. You have the typical Midwestern couple who are there. They're all excited. Super friendly, eh? Um, Mary there's Beth no is... stereotypes at all in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Mary Beth is sitting in the back in her combat boots and green military jacket, staring out the window, not talking to anybody. Um, Marcus proceeds to sit next to Jenna, one of the two girls who was topless in the shop, because... Marcus, right? And Ben ends up sitting next to Mary Beth, where he awkwardly introduces himself, um, compliments her name, and tries to make small talk to the point that Marcus finally just smacks him in the back of the head. Multiple times. Yes. He asks her if she's enjoying Mardi Gras. He keeps on trying until she eventually just asks him to stop, pointing out that she paid $30 for the tour. And then Ben's like, 30 because he paid 40 so there's something very wrong. Oh, that sounds kind of typical down there. Though. Yeah. Um, and another homage to like the early horror movies of the 70s, there's this travel montage with some very bouncy, happy music. You know, like you watch the original Last House on the Left. You know, Wes Craven did that. The music certainly did not fit with the action that was going on in the movie because the music right. was like, kind of happy and you're like oh oh my god what are they doing <laughs> it's jarring they, that way yeah it's a nod to that with the with the bouncy music as they're riding along um some and of I the must, music i was gonna say i must say when that bus is driving through the streets i was walking around early morning middle of the day late at night i don't remember the streets ever being that uh clear that biz non-busy <laughs> yeah yeah um, some of the music was written and performed by Marilyn Manson, which um, I thought was great. It started right off with that after England got killed. <laughs> it's really funny because he's credited with performing them, but he used a pseudonym for the fact that he wrote them, which I, I really don't get. You know, if you're going to go to the trouble of performing them, why don't you want people to know you wrote it? But, yeah. 
um, they use this time to fill the characters out a bit. Not that there's a whole lot of filling out, right? Marcus and Jenna are kind of working on a, hey, girl, you know, we're going to get together after this whole thing. Um, Doug, turns out, makes Girls Gone Wild style films called Bayou Beavers, which, again, <laughs> it's a lie. Um, and Jim and Shannon are just these chatty retirees, and Sean is trying to give tours. And Jim and Shannon actually know the facts about the things he's saying, and they're constantly, like, correcting him on the way. Right. <laughs> they, they get to the... Oh, uh, wait, one other thing. Uh, they go past Cemetery Number 1. Uh, yes. I did go past that uh, and saw that. That's the one where Nicolas Cage has his pyramid in. Uh, so uh, That was actually a criticism of the film by some people, because if you left Marie Laveau's, it would not take you that long to get to cemetery number one. So it wouldn't be dark by the time you're going past it. Like they depicted <laughs> yeah, it in this film. I, I wondered about that. And also the Armstrong estate. I, I walked past that too. I think I got huh? a picture pretty much the same one they used in the, the film. Wow, <laughs> same cool. angle, you know, <laughs> um, they get to the swamp and Sean's in a hurry to get on the boat in an effort to save money. This is what I'm talking about. Kane Hodder really being into this. Um, he gave them his 1982 Kawasaki JS550 jet ski, and they basically took that and some barrels and some plywood and built the boat out of that instead of having to buy an actual pontoon boat to take the tour on. Which made it look even better. I, that, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is hilarious. It's like hand lettering and, you know, yeah. on the boat. It's, yeah. Sean's trying to get the boat started. And there's this guy um, who Sean calls Jack Cracker. He's trying to tell him that the swamp's closed and look out for Victor Crowley. Um, Jack Cracker was played by John Carl Buechler, one of the special effects lead guys. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sean ignores him and drives away. And he says, y'all going to die as they're pulling away. <laughs> and then he takes a swig from a hand urinal. I, I don't know why you would keep your alcohol in. In a hand urinal, but no, no, no. He said earlier, uh, the 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 tour guide guy said, "Oh, ignore him. He's just one of the locals, you know, that drink their own piss and stuff." So oh, nice catch. Um, Sean has all these bad guide puns, and Marcus is complaining to Ben that the trip's lame, and Ben's just like, "Give it time." <laughs> right. He shines. <laughs> light on this abandoned house in a barn and says, this is where Victor Crowley hatchet face. And he like gives a rough story about how as a child, his father went crazy and hit him in the face with a hatchet, killing him. And if you're around late at night, you can hear Victor crying out for his father. And then Mary Beth corrects him and says, that's not the right story. And it's not even the right house. And Sean loses it just a little bit as he goes into this kind of tirade in Chinese um, and then they continue on. <laughs> uh, he points out a place where a pirate was supposed to have been buried. And he's talking about will-o'-wisps are floating about. And Jim, of course, has the actual reason. It's swamp gas, not ghosts. And Sean relents and turns the lights back on on the boat. And when he does, there's this hulking figure on the shore that fades into the darkness. And people freak out. And Sean's like, yeah, hey, look scary stuff <laughs> right taking advantage 
Uh, Doug stops for another gratuitous boob scene, which uh, ends with Jenna saying that Misty's woos are so not in the moment, to which Jenna replies that Misty's nipples are dumb. Yeah. I, I don't know how one has dumb nipples, but. But yeah, her whole character, everything about it. I'll call the police because they'll call the cops. <laughs> it's yes. the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Ben's still trying to force conversation with Mary Beth. Um, and she gives the impression to the audience that she actually knows what's going on. She knows more about what's going on out here. She's the mysterious figure in this. Um, Sean interrupts him by getting the boat foundered on some rocks and then it starts to rain just to add you know insult to injury which it, it quits pretty quickly actually it just suddenly yeah stops. the rain is kind of psh, psh, on yeah. and off whenever <laughs> it's con- in this scene, but not later whenever it's convenient it rains um while they're trying to push the boat off the rocks it starts to sink and so um they're going to walk across this tree branch and jim's going to prove that it can be done he gets about halfway off and then halfway across and then slips and falls on his crotch. And then a gator jumps up and grabs his leg. And I do have to say, I expected him to just be eaten the first time I saw this. But no, um, before it can seal the deal, Mary Beth shoots it in the head and tells people to uh, get him on shore because the blood in the water will draw more gators. Well, like, I don't know about like that. A great white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Misty's having a hard time getting across and Doug in his rush to get off the boat accidentally pulls Misty and Mary Beth and himself into the water um, and panic ensues. Now this is one of those great scenes where they're floundering out in the water and you can actually see that it's maybe 18 inches deep. Right. Um, But of course, Doug's the last one out running away from some giant gator that's coming up to chase after him. But the party gets a safe distance away and then they start to fight all fighting amongst themselves. This is only the second tour Sean's ever done. He's from Detroit and his brother told him it was an easy way to make money. (laughs) Mary Beth has a gun with her because she took the tour boat, hoping to get a glimpse of Samson's boat. And Samson is her father and Ainsley was her brother. And she came out to look for them. Now this scene also, when we find that out, if you remember back when they were at the beginning talking and the, Robert England's character, Samson, even said, well, I wish you were more like your sister. Well, this is a sister carrying the gun, shooting the alligator. That's right. <laughs> um, she tells them they have to get out of the woods because they're Victor, Victor Crowley's woods. And then there's the flashback. Um, and Kane Hodder is playing Victor Crowley in this. And Victor Crowley was born so horribly deformed that Victor kept him hidden. And um, he's your typical swamp mutant kind of deformed kid, right? giant head all goofy the kid was played like the the cheesy horror version of the movie mask (laughs) yes yes uh the kid was played by rylea vanderbilt who is like some top-end actress who like played wonder woman for some shorts and things like that Hmm. she was on set helping bueller uh buchler try out latex effects and they just kept building on top of the effects until they got the look they wanted. But the latex had already formed to her face. So <laughs> she's the one who plays the young Victor Crowley. Nice. Uh, which is kind of funny, especially when you like look at it and then you look at pictures of her. You're like, what? <laughs> That's a lot of latex. <laughs> 
Well, I think the other two girls had some other enhancements and silicon. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, kids on Halloween night were trying to get Victor to come out of his house so they could get a look at him. And they threw firecrackers at his house and it caught fire. And as it's burning, his dad tries to chop through the door to get him. And when he does, he hits Victor in the face with an ax and Victor dies. And, and I got to say, like we said, the whole movie is a, a tongue in cheek homage to every other horror movie. It's a template. And even down to this origin story, it's like, wow, that's the worst origin story yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough. He could just burn down in the house. He has to get hit in the face with an ax. Well, uh, they're two inches away from a window. <laughs> Come on. Good point. And, and, and the, the things, the door is burning, so he can't get it open. Really? That kind of weakens the door, doesn't it? I mean, a little bit. come on. Um, the father becomes a recluse and then dies. Uh, and ever since then, people have been disappearing out of the swamp. And they're presently right in front of Crowley's house. They just so happen to be standing right in front of the Crowley yeah, household. And, and that scene there again, she's like, no, it's that one. And it's bum, bum, bum. Yeah. The music was great at all the intense scenes. Speaking of Scooby-Doo. Exactly. <laughs> a scene right out of it. Yeah. Now they head for the house because there's a road out of the swamp on the other side of it. Yeah, like miles away. Yeah. Some people believe the story. Some people don't. As they go on, um, they hear Victor cry in the night. And then Marcus stops helping Jim because Jim's limping because his leg was bit by an alligator um, to head to the back of the line. So Shannon takes his place and the two of them head towards the house. And just those two are heading towards the house. Mary Beth's trying to get them to come back, and they won't. And Victor comes running out of the house. But she just said, we've got to go past the house yes. to get to the road. <laughs> right. But they shouldn't go to the house. Right. Victor comes running out of the house with this bizarre axe and hacks Jim to pieces. And he rips Shannon's head open, um, like, with his bare hands. Twist it. Um, and again, none of this is, oh, I'm just going to hatchet you and you fall dead. I'm going to keep hatcheting you till you're cut in half and I rip the top part of your torso off. And I'm going to take your wife's head, pull it back, and then twist it off like in a circle. So blood goes everywhere. Definitely over the top special effects going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, then Mary Beth shoots him square in the chest and he goes down and she runs away. Which wonder why she didn't do that before he ripped Shannon's head off. But <laughs> they had to scream. Yeah. So the axe he's holding is hatchet sized, which is a single handle ha uh, axe type thing. But you'd never have a double bitted hatchet. Right. I thought that was weird. Yeah. It's like some medieval thing. Bizarre amalgam of an axe that he's got. And considering the title, that's like the only time he uses the damn thing to kill somebody. I mean, yeah. it should really be hatchet and other stuff for the yeah. title, you know? <laughs> and the ax that they have on the cover of the box and the posters isn't a hatchet either. It's an ax, but <laughs> right. you know, whatever technicals. Uh, Mary Beth's running. She runs into Ben and the rest of the group and more panic ensues. Now, Marcus right here, I, they were running away screaming. They had to stop because they got a little out of breath. I'm like, okay, so here's our tip of the day. 
for anybody that ever thinks you're going to be in a living horror movie, go watch Zombieland and write down the rules. Number yeah. one, double cardio. tap. Number two, yeah. cardio. You know, those two things would have saved so many people from all these movies we watch. Oh, yeah. You shoot them once, they run away and they're out of breath. Oh, come on. Yeah. Um, Marcus climbed a tree from up there. He can actually see New Orleans. So they have a direction to head. And um, now they notice that Doug is missing. So Doug's on his way. Marcus uh, falls out of the tree. And he fell like the, half a mile down a hill. Yeah. Um, Doug is hiding in a bush on his own when a shadow goes by. And he runs out directly into the waiting arms of Victor, who twists his head off. Like, all the way around. Right. Yeah. In the meantime, Marcus and Sean start fighting. And Jenna finds Doug's camera bag going through the bag. This might mean who is here. Yeah. (laughs) Going to bag. It turns out Doug's not a real movie producer. There's a shock. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she kicks the bag and Jenna starts crying and the group just continues on. Which again, it's like, okay, we got to put this typical scene in we have to you know do, do this type of thing my this is an actual one complaint about the whole movie is considering it was new orleans they went to marie laveau's shop they talked about the voodoo and all that i would have wanted a little more mystical voodoo to bring them back to life something you know that they accidentally triggered an ancient ritual or something like that. And that's, that's a stupid minor complaint that nobody else probably really cares about. It's just, it, it seemed like they, they missed that opportunity. You uh, want to, the theme of the locale to go with the theme of the film. Yeah. You know, they bring up yeah. all this stuff earlier, but they don't bring it back later. There's, that's like one of the storytelling things. If you're going to do it here, make sure it's a part of what comes later. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I, I watched a film the other night. Uh, the name escapes me. It was German. And in it, it was like they couldn't decide what they wanted it to be. So like the evil force was like this mind controlling fungus, but it was also a demon, almost alien occult thing all happening at the same time. And I'm like, you guys just need to pick a lane and stay in it. <laughs> yeah. But um. So Ben's like, oh, he must be dead. And then they trip right over Doug's body. Um, Misty finds her phone and it turns out they've been going in circles. They're back at the Crowley estate. And And can't believe that Scott Smith guy or whatever called her. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Ben and Mary Beth go into the house to look for weapons. They find a whole bunch of preserved critters. Uh, Mary Beth finds her brother and her father just in a pile back there. Yeah. And then they move back to the group and there's a bush behind Jenna that moves and everyone's looking nervously at it. Marcus they tell her, don't move. I'm like, what? It's right behind her. Don't move. That's the perfect advice. Yeah. Marcus is the hero. He goes to look into it and finds that it's a raccoon. And then Victor comes out from a bush on the other side and takes a belt grinder to Jenna's face. Yeah. I don't know that anybody ever considered where he's getting the electricity for his belt grinder, but and I I was kept wondering why it sounded more like a chainsaw, but you know, <laughs> one of those gas powered belt grinders. Uh, yeah. That sounds like uh, a chainsaw. <laughs> ben hits him with a shovel to stop the attack. Um, then he takes the shovel and knocks off Sean's leg and then his head with it. And then impales Jenna on the handle. Yeah. That's so that's some strength. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, everybody else keeps moving. Uh, they're arguing about where to go. Victor's, uh, Victor shows up and then Ben stabs him with a pitchfork. I mean, Ben is like two for two so far. Mary yeah. Beth has shot the guy. Um, he grabs Misty's lighter and wants to get some cans of gasoline from the uh, shed back at Crowley's. And they go about this in a sensible manner. I mean, <laughs> this is Ben's going into the shed. Misty's watching the entrance for him. And Mary Beth and Marcus are back to back weapons out. And they're doing really well. Then Marcus decides he's going to try and call Victor out. To distract him. Wait, you're 10 feet away from where you're trying to distract him. Just shut the hell up. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Misty, on the other hand, the lookout for Ben gets cut apart. And Victor attacks Ben. And Marcus and Mary Beth come to his rescue. He soaks Victor in gasoline and tosses the lighter. And Victor's just aimlessly shambling about on fire. Yeah. And then the swamp takes pity on him and it starts to rain again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because, you know, again, he can't just be dead now. We've got a strong plot front coming in from the West. (laughs) Expect some rain. (laughs) We'll just throw this in. Well, you know, but at least it rained earlier. So they were setting that up. It's not like, now it suddenly rains. Yeah. Uh, the party runs away and finds themselves in a graveyard. Um, and it's funny because Adam Green's name is on the crypt. Oh, um, nice. I didn't catch that. There's a couple producers, Sarah Elbert and uh, Corey Neal. Their names are on gravestones. Uh, so, you know, they little nod to the crew. That's they see cool. an exit and Victor shows up and you have this chase through the cemetery. And, uh, he oh, almost okay. gets- that was the only doorway out. You're in a swamp, folks. The whole thing is not surrounded by a gate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, he almost gets Mary Beth. He tackles Ben. He drools into his mouth. Yeah, that, Marcus yeah. gets him. <laughs> Marcus gets him off Ben. Then Victor gets Marcus. And Mary Beth pulls him off Marcus by stomping on his burn wounds. And the group takes off again. They stop to catch their breath, and then there's Victor, and he grabs Marcus, and Marcus is killed. Yeah. Oh, gruesomely, too, man. He yes. slams him against stuff, and blood flies everywhere. Yes. Uh, Mary, Beth, and Ben run off, being the only two survivors. Um, ben stops to vomit, and Josh, David Moore, actually did throw up. Wow. Uh, That's yeah, so, yeah, but they also had cold clam chowder and orange juice mixed together, just in case he couldn't. That's that's hopefully they, just kind of throw on the ground. He wasn't supposed to eat it. To throw I don't right? know. That's cold clam chowder. Ugh. They head back to the river and they find uh, Mary Beth's dad's boat. And they're talking about getting in. And then Victor pulls a fence pole off of the cemetery fence, throws it through the air in a perfect arc. And it pins Ben's foot to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Victor comes running towards them and Ben sacrifices his foot by bending the pole downward. So it's facing Victor and Victor impales himself on it and dies. And even that I feel was a purposeful choice in how to kill him because it's as cheesy as any Jason 
uh, death murder and oh, yeah. some of the things you know you watch it's just come on he runs right into it and impales himself and now he's suddenly completely dead I, mean, yes. I just feel that they made that choice so purposefully to get it just like that yeah <laughs> um and then ben and mary beth climb into the boat and uh start to row out and then mary beth has this little breakdown and ends up falling into the water <laughs> And she's struggling to get up, and you see Ben's hand reach down into the water. And if you don't know what's about to happen, shame on you. Um, <laughs> she grabs his hand, and it pulls up to real v- reveal that Ben is lying in the boat, missing his left arm, and Victor Crowley has his arm and has been using it to pull Mary Beth yeah. up and roll the credits. That is the end of the first hatchet. And which, in the end, there was a little homage to the first uh, Friday the 13th movie with the boat yeah. and Jason getting yep. them and stuff. So I liked that. Again, there's probably a, a Easter eggs just everywhere. If you've watched movies, you'd probably pick up even more. Oh, uh, I'm you know, sure. Even the alligator thing, you know, at the beginning, you know, so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is definitely a film for fans of horror movies. And if you're mm. not a horror, like one of the eighties, 90s slasher film fans you will find this movie to be ridiculously stupid you'll be like i just don't get it why are (laughs) why are you enjoying this it's a little bit like watching kill bill or something if you don't understand the tongue-in-cheekness of it you're going not like it i know people that like that was a stupid movie this is kind of that same thing and that's the that's the nice thing about this is it's more of an inside joke so i could sit down with anybody and watch tucker and dale and they will find it funny because Tucker and Dale is a horror comedy, flat out. Yeah. It's obvious while you're watching it. This, on the other hand, like, kind of portrays itself as, like, your typical slasher horror movie. And once you get into it, you're either like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, or this is actually a beautifully farcical film that is poking fun at horror movies. It's right. not such a blatant thing that you could actually call it a horror comedy. True. Yes, like Tucker and Dale. Right. Yeah, but but you know, like if I had seen this, I would have said, "Oh, Reese, you got to go see this." But I probably wouldn't tell most of the rest of my family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's my kids. You know, sometimes like to watch horror movies. This isn't one I'm going to recommend for them. Not for like the martyrs reason. You know, I'm I'm not going to recommend it because it's. If you're not into it, it's kind of a waste of an hour. Again, like Kill Bill. If you don't understand the uh, homage to all the samurai movies and the westerns and the -the over-the-top special effects and uh, stunts, then, like my parents, they're like, this was a stupid movie. I'm like, how can you say it was stupid? It was awesome. I loved it, you know, but you got to understand it. And, you know, all that being said, you could sit down and watch this movie cold and love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you liked Friday the Thirteenth, you probably would like this too. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you can't say it's not like it. I mean, it is again. It is the absolute typical cheesy horror movie built to be. Yeah. Yes. And and I know I said that you could sit down and watch one, two, and three back to back to back, and it's one continuous story. That might be a bit much, even for me. I don't know that I could do that, but oh well. Yeah. All right. So we got one more left. 
We've got one more left. Um, what was the visitor this time? Just everybody visiting New Orleans? Louisiana? Everybody visiting a tourist lo- a tourist location. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So um, the next one is Attack the Block. Um, and the visitor there is what you would typically think of when you hear horror movie and visitors. It is aliens visiting London. Um, and again, a tongue-in-cheek film. Just okay. a foreign one this time. And so. I must say, when you say horror movies with the theme of visitor... Just about everybody has said, oh, aliens. Well, no, not really. We, we, we've we got visitors all over the place for various yep. reasons. We finally finally get into, around to the aliens. You know, what we didn't have was like a symbiote movie. <laughs> well, we Grabbers didn't. was close. Yeah. Grabbers wasn't too far off. There's a lot of good ones out there. Uh, Slither, Splice, yeah. I mean, that you could watch that are in the theme. But yeah. again, I was going, I was going for uh, ones that I knew you hadn't seen. Yes, and we already had we already had some funny ones in here, so I left Slither out. Although yeah, no, Nathan hey. Fillion, you can't miss with Nathan Fillion. No, no, and, you know we mentioned Alan Tudyk in this episode too. So there you go. That's I'll say it. I've said it in other places. If they're doing a Quantum Leap reboot, it's got to be Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk, or I'm not really interested. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. All right, man. So attack the block. We'll get that out soon. Good to go. All righty. Thanks, sir. Thank you. The creature slips from perception. Pay attention. It will rise again.